Hi, I'm Alana. I use they and she pronouns. And I'm Jessie. I use she and her pronouns. And we're, we're making mentions. We wanted to start this episode acknowledging that this is a time of extreme heaviness and darkness because Israel is committing genocide against Palestinians. And it doesn't really feel like the time to be releasing episodes about ritual and holidays. And we are sitting with that discomfort. We are feeling that. And at the same time, we want to offer this as a piece of anti-Zionist ritual an entryway into Jewish tradition that can feel meaningful during times of heaviness and also an opportunity to reflect on some of the themes of this month that really resonate with the current moment. If this does not feel honest and authentic to you, leave it. It does not have to be your practice this month. You don't ever have to include it because we understand that Jewish tradition and ritual means different things to different people. But if this feels like a space you want to be in right now, we encourage all anti-Zionists to find ways to sustain our work and to stay in this space of resistance and fighting for justice beyond this month, beyond the next few months, beyond the next few years. If we can offer this to sustain you in this moment, we hope this helps. Otherwise, please continue on your journey. So we're in this month of Peshvan, which is weirdly fitting for all of this incredible pain and heaviness that we're all having to engage with every day. And I say that as people who are privileged to be not experiencing genocide presently, just watching it unfold from afar and yeah, hoping that we're doing the best we can to push back against it. But Heshven historically has always been deemed the dark month or the bitter month. It's the eighth month of the year. So it follows the month of Tishrei, which is this period of intensity and joy. And it holds the new year and all of these major holidays that we just observed, like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. And so we move into this month after that then all of a sudden is bitter and dark and has all of these really negative connotations with it. So it's a really significant switch up. I think it's a switch up that even in years where we're not being confronted with present violence of genocide, it can feel heavy to go from this really exciting time of the holidays and then be like, have no real big holidays and be like, oh, back to regular life. And I think the message from the month is always just that perseverance, gratitude, faith are things that we need to keep us going during times of stress and negativity like the month of Heshven can carry. And yeah, I think that <laughs> remains incredibly fitting right now. I think those are things that we all really need to tap into in order to carry us through this work as anti-Zionist Jews, as people opposing genocide and opposing ethnic cleansing, as activists, all of us need to 
maintain this sense of faith for the future and hope for a future where Palestine is liberated and a future where hundreds, if not thousands of people are not dying every day. Or else I think it it does become really easy to get bogged down in how like horrific it all feels. Yeah, I I think it's I've seen some critiques online being like people in the West or like white folks or white Jewish folks don't get to feel hopeless or helpless. And I understand where that like the sentiment behind those things, like we are not actively experiencing genocide. We're not witnessing massive chunks of our families be wiped out in front of our eyes. We're not witnessing our houses be destroyed, our hospitals, our access to water and electricity. But I don't think that means that there isn't a sense of helplessness and hopelessness that can be really inherent to watching those things happen from afar and feeling like very powerless to stop it under the systems that we live in. But I think the important part of those critiques is that or like a rework of those is yes, we need like we are going to feel those things and we need things that help us push through them because we can't get caught up in that helplessness and hopelessness. We have to be hopeful enough and helpful enough to keep pushing for the right things in this moment, like ceasefire and end to the occupation, the f- liberation of all Palestinian prisoners and in general, just a liberated Palestine land back where Palestinians can live in their homes on their land. And to do that, we need these things to ground and center us. Like we need ritual, we need faith, we need gratitude. Those are the things that have always carried us us as Jews, as people in general, through the darkest periods of time. I think about people observing Jewish ritual In the midst of the Holocaust, in the middle of concentration camps, there are so many records of people hosting little services or observing Passover, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, while in concentration camps. And like when we think about what we talked about in our episode with Micah about the song that the Jews who are in the concentration camps sung while they were being held up at gunpoint, what is the quote? It's basically we will outlive them like holding on to our faith and belief in the future has always been what we have done in times of darkness to remain connected to our Judaism and our source of strength and I think that's doubly important for anti-Zionist Jews to commit to in this moment because I think it can also feel very easy to want to distance ourselves from Judaism or Jewishness because of, I don't know, maybe how complicated it all feels or some of the backlash or some of the things that we see other Jewish individuals and organizations saying and doing that we really don't agree with. But I think that makes it all the more important that we take this time to observe ritual and faith in our own ways, in the ways that like we feel good doing. And so, yeah, all of that just feels so almost like eerily on point for what we've been experiencing during the month of Feshven and like just reminders for ourselves of how important ritual remains and how much like the past guides us into our future. 
Do you have any thoughts on any of that, Jesse? Yeah, I do. And I think you're bringing up all the things we need to talk about right now. It's making me think of like three different strains, but they're connected, I promise. And I've been talking with some other Jews who are frustrated with, like we said, some Jewish organizations right now. And a lot of Jewish people at protests are putting on shirts and posters and chanting, not in our name. And one person I was speaking to was saying the implication that no, nobody will commit genocide in the name of Jews. Like we do not want genocide committed in the name of Jews because Israel is using Jewish safety and security as an excuse to commit genocide, right? But somebody pointed out like, so if it wasn't in our name, would we be protesting? Is it only because it's quote unquote in our name? And as American Jews, is it really in our name or is it whatever this relationship to that phrase? And I thought that was a great point. And it reminded me of this idea that we can root ourselves in Jewish traditions of resistance, but we shouldn't stay only in Jewish tradition and seek Jewish tradition out for resistance. Because it reminds me of what Rabbi Miriam Grossman said when I went to one of her talks about abortion. And she was like, yes, there is like Jewish text that supports the case for abortion. But if there wasn't, we would still support the right to choose for everyone because that's a value we hold and fuck it if Jewish tradition didn't support it. She said it a lot more eloquently, but that's the way I feel about it too. It's really cool. We have a Jewish tradition of resistance that says you don't kill people just because you want them off your land. But even if Jewish texts did not say that, we as Jews would show up for this. And if you're not showing up for that reason, check yourself while you're at this protest. But the last thing I want to say is I know a lot of people are joining synagogues or going to Jewish things right now for Zionist reasons. And I know a few anti-Zionists who are shying away from ritual and tradition right now because they're like, it doesn't feel good for me. And I totally hear that. I just, I got really activated today when I saw the Israeli representatives to the UN wearing the yellow star that said never again, because they're suggesting that Jews are being persecuted again in Israel, similar to the way they were persecuted during the Holocaust. And I just got so enraged that Jews would co-opt the Holocaust while committing a genocide and be like, the UN needs to look out for us as we commit this genocide. And so I don't know if it's motivating to everyone, but it's so motivating to me that every time I don't want to show up in a Jewish space because I'm tired and frustrated, I'm like, okay, if I don't show up, there's going to be 10 people there who are going to be showing up, co-opting my Jewish tradition in the name of their genocide. So I want to show up and be present and say, absolutely the fuck not. So that was just a little bit of what I was thinking about, like processing that rage and that sustainability of showing up in this work, but also grounding ourselves in tradition. It's hard to hold all those things at once and it's exhausting, but I don't know. Obviously, I choose that work. You choose that work. We're here choosing that. That is resonating with me a lot right now. Yeah, I think that that is really powerful and really important. And I think it reminds me why it is so important to be talking about being an anti-Zionist Jew, because Jesse and I were talking before we started recording and I was talking about how I'm just having a lot of conflicting emotions about what it means to be centering anti-Zionist Jewish voices right now or Jewish voices in general when we are not the people who are having a genocide and ethnic cleansing acted upon us like we are not Palestinians. And I think that's, again, why our focus has been on amplifying Palestinian voices and amplifying news from Gaza and the West Bank. 
However, I also think, again, when we see so many Jewish people in positions of power and just regular people who are using Judaism as a cover for genocide or to promote or excuse genocide, like that reminds me why it's so important that we also have really strong Jewish voices who are saying, no, absolutely not. This is not reflective of my Judaism. This is not reflective of me as a Jewish person. This is not what I'm co-signing as a Jewish person. And I do think it's really important to say those things. And I do think it's really important that people see that because I think it can be really easy to get stuck in our bubbles where we're like, okay, there's so many Jewish anti-Zionists. And for a lot of people, that's not what they're seeing or that's not their experience of the world. Or I think Jewish anti-Zionists are still really seen as like a fringe part of the Jewish community. And I think that is why it's really important that we continue to be incredibly vocal and incredibly strong in our Judaism, like not just in our opposition to genocide and our continued push for Palestinian liberation, but in our practice of Jewish faith and values and ritual. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And I, I think we're all holding a lot of both ends right now that are important for us to sit with because so many of us are sitting with them. And I, I don't think any of us can show up perfectly in this work. Something that also feels really significant about the month of Heshvan is that water is a really significant theme during this month. The contrast of how life-giving it can be and also how destructive it can be we see like the great flood happen in the text during Heshven with Noah and the ark. And in general, this is when a lot of prayers for rain are supposed to begin. And I think that's a really powerful metaphor. There's a lot to unpack about the story of the flood and Noah and the ark. And I also think it's significant because we're seeing Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank be deprived and not have access to water. I was literally just looking at a post like an hour ago from a mother in who was living in Gaza and took her children to a refugee camp in the South when they were told to move and said that her Kids have been getting really sick, like throwing up and having diarrhea since they've been in the, I guess, refugee space. And she found out that the water is basically unclean. So this water that they're getting basically rationed and struggling to get even a little bit of is not even clean water. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just like to be in a month where water is such a focus and to think of the fact that Palestinians are being denied access to clean water, water at all at this point is yeah, just so hard to grapple with and so painful and something that we truly most, I'll say most of us in the United States, because there are a lot of people in the United States who don't have access to clean water. And of course, we never talk about that. But like a lot of us don't, we'll never know what that is like. We'll never know what it is like to not just have access to a running tap of water or to yeah, to have water when we need it or to have clean water when we need it and to not worry if our kids are drinking contaminated water or if our loved ones are drinking contaminated water. And we simply cannot begin to imagine. It's like, I can't even personally, I can't fathom that. It feels completely unreal and yet we have to fathom it because it's literally happening to people 
And it's again, it's happening to people and being excused through Jewishness and Judaism. So to confront that is really intense. And yeah, this is just a reminder that people who are living in Gaza and people who are living in the West Bank do not have access to water right now out of a million other things, food, electricity, medical care, clean air, because there's literally dust in the air and there's white phosphorus being used on people anyway. So water feels very powerful. I think to reflect on the story of the flood specifically, I think there are a lot of different interpretations and meanings through that. I think what we're supposed to derive from the flood is that it's a positive thing. It's a cleansing force. It's like merciful and an act of loving kindness because it's cleansing the earth of this chaos and corruption that we're like running rampant at the time. And so in many ways, it's like, maybe we could use a flood. But I also think an interpretation that I've heard is recognizing that the God that we engage with in the text like can be very cruel. I also think <laughs> this might be a very hot take pause me if it's too hot but if we're saying that in the text this flood is supposed to be interpreted as a positive event and yet this flood literally wiped out so many people but we're justifying it because we're like this is what god was finding necessary in this moment that right there speaks to the fact that sometimes violence is necessary to resist violence is necessary to push back against occupation, corruption. And this is just to say resistance by any means. Sometimes it is necessary to do what the occupier is doing to you in order to see change, in order to see liberation. But I think there, yeah, there are a lot of different interpretations that we could take from that. I also think we can connect it to the mikvah and the way that when we talk about the mikvah, the water is this healing vessel and we're using those water, again, as this way of cleansing ourselves and healing ourselves. And so in many ways, we hold this dichotomy of water being very destructive and also healing and protective. So those are also some things that are floating around in my mind to rehash Ben. You're making me think about the Great Flood and Noah. And of course, I'm always thinking about Jewish education, but it's a story we teach kids that kids love. I think we focus on the animals on a boat and the rainbow part of it. And we're like, happy covenant. But it's a story about destruction of all the people on the earth. And there's one prompt I had to give a group of students that was like, was Noah a righteous man? Or did he just live in a time of not righteous people? Would he have been as righteous if he had lived in a time of all righteous people? And I just, I thought it was a throwaway question. I wasn't expecting them to engage with it. And they got deep into it about what does it mean to be a good person? Anyway, it's just making me think about childhood and innocence and the watered down, no pun intended, version of these stories that we give our children and the almost incomprehensible loss of life in Palestine of children, specifically the children of Gaza and I, I can't even really speak to the videos of seeing the dead bodies of children and just connecting that. We're teaching American Jewish children that this flood was like a silly little thing we sing a song about and all the animals got off the ark and that the world is beautiful. And meanwhile, there are U.S. tax dollars being sent to Israel to go kill Palestinian children of the same age. They're not learning the story about how the flood was good. They're just caught up in it. So... Anyway, the holding multiple things as we're talking about, but 
it's really stark to think about the inherent violence of that story and how we brush over that in a lot of Jewish spaces at such young ages. But I really, I agree with what you're saying about the necessity of violence. I think when people do engage with the whole loss of life on the whole planet thing, they're like, God promised to never do it again. That's what the covenant means. It's good. It's fine now. I also just want to quickly say that this month too has the the Torah portion in which Abraham debates with God about would God wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 25 righteous people there? And God's like, no, I wouldn't. And what if there were 10? What if there were five? What if? And God wipes out the city anyway, which we've talked about before. And it's like, oh, what was that for? But it's considered the foundation of Jewish social justice is that first story. And for all of these themes to be coming up in this month where we have those Torah portions, it just feels hard to ignore that our Jewish values to stop genocide would be directly connected to this month. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. And I think that's also another example of that confusion that we're presented with or contradiction in the Torah. And I also think sometimes trying to understand the why is for me personally, my focus within Judaism is not on God because the focus is on humanity. And I think a lot of the decisions that we're supposed to be interpreting is why would God make that decision? Isn't the idea of God, if that is what you subscribe to, that God is a reflection of us? So wouldn't God hold this reflection of humanity that we're flawed and full of contradiction and that there are people who make horrible decisions and destroy villages and refugee camps and there are also people who push back against that and ask why and and that's what i think is so fun about judaism is it's so full of that questioning and struggling with the text and that's like what we've been doing for thousands of years and i do think that is really special and really important that we do that and can engage with it like that something that really resonated with me when doing some research on the month, which is my favorite thing to do, is this Kabbalistic idea that it's referred to as a Kabbalistic idea, but and I also feel like I've heard this from so many different like sources and people throughout time, which is I don't know where it originated, but just the idea that the greatest potential for light comes from darkness. And there's so many of these famous quotes about that exact concept. And I think that is the case because it's true. That's the idea behind the month of Heshven. That is the idea behind what gets us through periods of darkness is that there is another side to that. And I think it can feel really hard to feel that right now and feel that there's another side or an ending, especially because I don't know about other folks, but I feel like for myself, I'm so scared of what the ending is of what's happening right now. Like, I don't know if we'll see a ceasefire. I don't know what will come after in terms of when we're really thinking about how many Palestinians have been murdered and how how much of Gaza has been destroyed. So I think it's very scary to think of even of what is what is on the other side of this. And it has been such a time of rallying together in solidarity around Palestinian liberation. I think it's also been such an incredible time of learning for a lot of people and coming to terms with Zionism and genocide. And I think just the ability to recognize that our community 
is what sustains us and is what gives us strength is a source of light during the darkness. That community, that ritual is the light that we are, are searching for within that darkness. And I also think we still do need to dream the world to come. We still need to think of Olam Haba and in Olam Haba, Palestine is liberated. Palestine will be liberated and Palestinians will have land back and will be able to live in their homeland and Palestinian people will not die. Palestinian children won't die. Palestinian women and men and grandmas and grandpas and queer folks and trans Palestinian people will not die. And I think that is important to hold in our sight of vision for the future and remind ourselves that that is the world to come as possible and we are creating it by pushing for it right now. We did put up a post on our Instagram, which is just at making mentions earlier in the month of Heshven, just on the parallels between this month and the genocide that we're seeing and some of those connections and the meaning behind the month. It definitely sums up a lot of what we talked about in today's episode. So if any of this felt interesting or important to you, I encourage you to go and read that. I want to posit some of the prompts that were included in that because I think they're important reflections for us to consider during this time. So if this is something that feels good for you, pause and take out your journal and think about some of these prompts or come back to them and reflect on them. The first being, how can you rest during this time in order to allow yourself to continue fighting for justice? The next being, which Zionist in your life could you challenge yourself to have difficult conversations with around this genocide? Have you called or emailed or written handwritten letters to your representatives to demand the U.S. stop funding this genocide? Have you shared news from Gaza today? If you're able to, have you gone out to protest? Even if you haven't done any of those things, you can start doing them today. Just one even. What parts of yourself are you grappling with during this time? What is coming to light through this darkness? And how does your community hold you in difficult times? We will leave you with those and we will leave you with all of our messy thoughts on Heshven and how it relates to everything that's happening right now. I think we're trying to be very intentional about our content and what we're putting out because we want our focus to be on what's happening as we speak in Gaza, in the West Bank, and to Palestinians and Muslim people like across the globe. And we're, we're balancing what feels good to engage with. And we hope this felt good to engage with for you. But if you're interested in more resources on educating yourself or resources on like with email templates or phone call scripts or where protests are happening or just like news from what's going on in Gaza and the West Bank. We have been keeping our Instagram updated daily every few hours on what's going on and with all of those kinds of resources. A lot of it is on our feed. So if you are looking for any of that, you can find it there, and there are plenty of Palestinian accounts and voices who are giving live reports on the ground. So we encourage that you engage with those. Many of them are in our stories. Um, and we, yeah, we wish you all 
strength and love and are in solidarity with all of the anti-Zionist Jews and other folks who might be listening. And a reminder that it's always free Palestine, whether it's Cheshvan, whether it's Kislev, whether it's Adar, whatever it is, it's always free Palestine and, and Zionism. So we'll see you back here to talk more soon.